With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yesterday, what? Did your doctor tell you? You're How are fine? you? Oh, I got a little. Excuse me. This is Christina. I get blue eyes. Who's here before? Right. Okay. Terry time. Thank you. Let's move. back to order the meeting of the Board of Pardons. We are at item Roman 5, little bb. Mr. Jeffrey Wilhart, counsel, you ready to proceed? I am, Your Honor. Please proceed. William Terry appearing with Mr. Wilhart. May it please the Governor, members of the Nevada Supreme Court, and Madam Attorney General. As I uh, appear in front of you, I understand the, the weighty significance of this hearing. Um, what we are really asking for is that your honors take into consideration a, a clemency situation here. And what I would think, if I were in your position, you would want to hear was what type of an individual this man was before the crime, what the crime involved, what the sentence was that he received, and what he's done in the last 22 years. 
And I always attempt not to be repetitious with the documentation that I know that you already have seen. But in my review of the transcript of 2005, it appears that there, there was at a minimum some confusion over exactly what Mr. Brillhart was appearing for you on and what his sentence had been. And I'll get into that. I'll try to anticipate your questions, but I want to make it as clear as possible that I'm here to answer any questions that you have. And I would ask your permission to allow Mr. Brillhart to address you. We have cut the witnesses to two people, the ones that I thought were more, most relevant that you would want to hear from, and that was his wife and his daughter. And with your permission, I would ask them to be allowed to speak when I am done and Mr. Brillhart is done. I want to talk first about Mr. Brillhart before 1989. Typical individual, served in the United States military with distinction, left the military, got a job as a security officer, married, three children, no criminal history. November of 1989, the offense that appears before your honors. The offense, one of the most heinous ones that will ever come before you. Unfortunately, you are in a position where you only hear the heinous offenses. The murder cases, the sexual assault, or in this case, because the case is so old, the rape cases, sometimes the drug trafficking cases. So every case that comes before you is one that cries out for no remedy, that is no correction, but yet cries out for what you would think that this panel is established for, which is the clemency, an opportunity for us to tell you that he is a man that's deserving of, of your mercy and your consideration, that he's an individual that has rehabilitated himself. There is no easy words that I could use to describe this situation. A woman was violated. There is no excuse for that. It all took place within a 20-minute period of time, roughly, depending on 20 minutes to an hour. Uh, ultimately, he was charged with one count of burglary, sexual assault with use of a deadly weapon. At the time that the matter proceeded to trial, he testified, he gave his side of the story, he described a relationship. The jury did not accept that. They came back with an acquittal on the burglary charge. However, they found him guilty on all counts of sexual assault. They did not find him guilty on the with use of a deadly weapon provision. When he appeared before then, the Honorable Judge Earl White, Judge White sentenced him to a period of five to life times six, which incidentally from your last transcript appears to have been an incorrect sentence because there were truly seven counts. But what we're here to address ourselves to is what the, the status of his matter is as we appear before you, which is the six lifetime sentences and at that point in time, recognizing there's been a progressive change in the sentencing scheme when it comes to sexual assaults, the sentencing scheme at that point in time was five to life. What he has done is he has served two of those periods of time, and he is before you during his third sentence. If you look at one of the documents that's at the right almost before flap two of your packet. You'll note that in 1995, 97, and 98 he was denied parole. In 1998, in the latter portion, he was granted parole. That was an eight-year period of time after he had originally been incarcerated. Thereafter, in October of 03, he was again denied parole. In June of 05, he was granted parole. Interestingly enough, when he appeared before this tribunal the next time, it was December of 2005. So he had already served two of the life terms and was still serving the four. He was again denied parole, however, in July of 2010 and will not be eligible again until October of 2013. And I, and I bring that to your attention for this reason. I always draw upon the comments of your honors 
uh, as I sit and listen to other cases. And I heard Justice Hardesee state today that he is a, a believer in the, in the parole system. Quite frankly, I am a believer in the parole system. It's what helps individuals uh, demonstrate their rehabilitation, demonstrate their progress, and hopefully receive some type of favorable consideration that will allow them to be released before the full term. But the reality is, and I've looked at the criteria, I've looked at what the parole members should be looking at, and I don't presume to place myself in their, in their stead. I recognize that in order to parole from life term number one, he has to have received a favorable psychosexual report. In order to parole from life sentence two, that has to be the same scenario. So you ask yourself what the Board of Pardons, uh, uh, the parole board, would typically look at. They would look at things like write-ups, his actions while in the facility, etc. And while I recognize Justice Hardesty's confidence in, in that system, it does not often work out in an equitable way. And that's why I detailed the, uh, the time periods of his being considered and his lack of receiving any type of uh, redress. Now, I can understand it for the first sentence because he was newly incarcerated in 1990. They might have felt that he was not susceptible to treatment until they did give him that redress in uh, eight years later. But we're kind of past that point at this stage in his history while in the Nevada State Prison. We have to look at the individual, not just before the offense and as a result of the offense, but also what he has done while he's been in the facility. And at page one of the packet you received, they write that he's received one disciplinary action. There were minor ones, but one disciplinary action in 22 years. He has maintained jobs. He has helped individuals. He has taken advantage of every program that he can take advantage of, including the STOP program, the educational courses. He attained his GED. He attained he, had, he attended college and maintained an A average. What is perhaps most important, however, is that he has likewise maintained his relationship with his family. Oftentimes, tragically, there is an abandonment of the family. That hasn't been the situation in this case. His wife was his wife at the time of this offense. His wife addressed you in 2005, and she is here again. And we think that that's important for your consideration because you want to know that if you do give him any type of relief, that one, society is still going to be protected. And in answer to that, he is on a life term situation. This is life. So while we cannot look you in the eye and tell you 100% society is going to be guaranteed, the protections are built into the system at this point in time with the tier levels, et cetera to protect society. But we're also asking you to balance the protection of society with balancing the individual that's, that's in front of you. Um, I noticed that in Mr. Owens's um, disagreement with our position that you should give Mr. Brillhart some consideration. He raises the fact that we shouldn't be here in the first place because you did give him consideration in 2005. And he points to the statute that indicates that only under a changed circumstance type of scenario should we really be here. Well, number one, I always construe it as a gift to be able to appear in front of you. I know that you look at many petitions. I know that you take into consideration many cases. But I know that you have to narrow those down to individuals that you feel might be worthy of some type of redress. So somewhere, someone must have felt that the changed circumstances were there. But the reality is there are changed circumstances. And one of those major changed circumstances is, contrary to what you may have believed in 2005, he didn't receive favorable uh, treatment the next time that he went to the uh, pardons board. To the contrary, he will have to go back again in 2013. And to a certain degree, that, that, that dovetails into what our prayer for relief is. 
Our prayer for relief is that you allow them to be immediately considered for parole release. That will not walk him out the door tomorrow morning. As an alternative, he has a parole hearing coming up in October of 2013. In the normal flow of things, I would think that if you grant our request, the next time he's going to appear, unless there's some changed circumstances, is going to be 2013. Now he will have done eight plus seven eight before he is ever considered for that next parole term in 2013. The additional change circumstances is that his wife's health has continued to deteriorate. If you notice from the 2005 transcript, there were three speakers. One was his mother. His mother isn't here. His mother isn't here because she's in the hospital and her health is not good. Um, his daughter is likewise here, and I recognize she spoke before. She has gotten older. She only sees her father in the prison environment. One of the things that she and I talked about is that she has never had an opportunity to be alone with her father. It's either with somebody that is of the prison environment, a guard, etc., etc., or with her mother. But she will address you on that. We, we are asking for mercy. We are asking for an opportunity. The, the checks and balances are built in to protect society here. But we're asking you to take into consideration what he has done while he's been in the prison environment. Certainly there has to be some reward for taking advantage of these programs and for demonstrating to you that he is an individual that is worthy of second consideration. A consideration that he didn't have at the time of the original sentencing because he hadn't had an opportunity to demonstrate these things. And with that, with your permission, I'll ask if you would allow Mr. Brillhart to address you. Before I do so, Mr. Terry, a point of clarification. You're seeking immediate parole eligibility with the sentences four, five, and six to be run concurrently with number three, correct? That is correct, because he's already paroled out on number one and number two, Governor. Okay. Thank you. And, Any and I may be wrong when I address your honors, and I say his next eligibility date would be October of 13. And what I mean by that is if you grant him the relief we've requested, I don't know if the parole board could in effect bring him in next month and give him consideration. I don't believe that to be the situation. That's why I'm suggesting that 2013 seems to be the year that he would next go before them for, for consideration. Governor. I'm sorry, I didn't know. No, I, I just want to make sure I have clear the relief sought, and I know Justice Hardesty, we've got the analysis of what you're seeking here. But So you're saying you're, you're comfortable with this going to the next parole eligibility hearing date, but 4, 5, and 6 be run concurrently with number 3? Correct. Yeah. That because of the 23 years that he, he will have already spent in before he even starts, on sentence four, five, and six. Mm -hmm. Justice Hardesty. Well, that was the point I wanted you to address, and then I wanted to hear from um, <clears throat> uh, either Ms. Bisbee or Mr. Uh, Campoletti. Um, I asked that the board consider this subject because of my participation in the hearing six years ago. Uh, what I had wanted to propose then, I wanted to propose now, which was that the uh, uh, that that Mr. Brillhart be considered for parole in 2013. Uh, that would have had the result of three of the felony counts being served for the length of time, which was substantially in excess of the minimum sentences uh, that were envisioned by the judge. So I wanted to make sure we were on the same page. I know you're seeking immediate re relief uh, to go to the parole board uh, and but I'll make it clear my review is that immediate consideration would be 2013 okay and, and the other thing are you finished I'm sorry Mr. yes Percy, is you know I, this board is obviously constituted very differently than it was six years ago with regard to its its membership and I've read the transcript there was discussion with regard to the sentencing judge and his intention that 
perhaps the minimum here be 30 years. Do you have any comments in that regard? Well, I would think, and I certainly read that transcript, that I was very cognizant of each of the, uh, the justices and the attorney generals, uh, not this attorney general, the prior attorney general's uh, comments in reference to that. Um, first of all, there was, a, there was a, it was interesting because the motion to deny was made under what I would respectfully suggest to you to be a misreading of the judgment of conviction. The, the judgment of conviction seems to have been misread to sexual with use of a deadly weapon. But it was later clarified by, I believe it was Justice Moppin at that point in time, that, if you, that what was being read was the introductory language in the charging document and then the judgment of conviction was at the end and that's where the acquittal showed up for the burglary. But the findings of guilt as to the sexual assault, the findings of not guilty as to the with use of a deadly weapon. Does that answer your question, Governor? Yes. All right. Any further questions from board members? Um, did you want to proceed with Mr. Brillhart? Please. Mm -hmm. May he remain seated, uh, Mr. Governor? Yes. Uh, he's exceedingly nervous. I would like to first thank you all for the opportunity to appear before you today. I know that nothing I can say or do is going to ever take away from what I did 22 years ago. I violated somebody in the worst way possible. My victim is probably never going to forget any portion of that event. But I've, there's more victims besides that, her family and my family as well. I can't say how sorry I am, and those words don't even seem to come even close to matching how I truly feel. And Sorry just seems inadequate as it is. I would like the chance to return to my family, to reconnect with them and build a life again, and try to become a positive member of society. I just hope that you'll see somebody that's redeemable and how much I truly am sorry for my actions. Thank you, Mr. Brillhart. Governor, before I call the witnesses, does any member of the panel have any questions of Mr. Brillhart? Governor, I had one question. Justice Gibbons. Uh, yeah, Mr. Brillhart, I've, I've just reread your pre-sentence investigation report. It looks like you had no, this is the only contact you have with the law. Was this uh, incident that happened this one night in your life, if I read that correct? Uh, yes, sir. You've had no other legal problems of any, any type. It's just this, what happened that this particular evening. Yes, yes sir. What, what? for God's sake, compelled you to do something like this, where somebody has a clean record and, and all, like, you, like you've had, it just it seems out of character. What, what is it that made you do this, and why would the, how could the Pardons Board can be convinced that if you got some relief, we, we wouldn't have another episode like this happening? I think it uh, entails a lot what was going on with my marriage at the time. I wasn't understanding what the separation between my wife and I were. We found out after I was arrested that she had a brain tumor. And that's the way she'd been kind of cold towards me. And I had gone to this neighbor looking for, you know, comfort because it had been, in my opinion, a, a flirtatious type uh, relationship. And the evening that this all occurred, I went over there with expectations. And she, she basically told me to get lost. And I didn't, I, my own selfish reasons, I didn't take that. I went back and, and enforced my will, and I didn't understand what my actions were actually doing but to her and, and to everybody else. I just thought I was you know, going to get what I wanted and be done with it. And now I understand just the ramifications of what I did and what it probably put her through and everyone else. To say that I, I will never again commit a crime again, everybody can say that. But in my heart, I know that now that I have a full um, communication with my family, and especially my wife, to discuss feelings and you know what I'm feeling or thinking, I, I can honestly say that I will never harm another person again as long as I is at all possible, Your Honor. Okay, thank you. Yes. Chief Justice. This is um, perhaps a follow-up to Justice Gibbons' question. I hear you acknowledging responsibility today. 
yet your PSI from many years ago clearly states that you deny taking part in a sexual assault. Can you tell me whether that, that is the, because at the time you didn't understand that your actions were a sexual assault or because you weren't accepting responsibility then? It was because I wouldn't re accept responsibility, ma'am. I, I, was, I was trying to get out of trouble, and I was lying. So I, I take responsibility. I understand what my actions were now, and I, I take full responsibility for that. Thank you. I, I'm not quite sure I understand what you're saying. You, you uh, understand now, but you didn't understand then. You weren't a kid. You were nearly 30 years old when this happened. What didn't you understand about what you were doing? I didn't realize what the ramifications for my victim were going to be. Um, I, don't, I really don't know how better to say it. I thought that I was being um, not as violent as it was. Now I recognize what kind of violence it was. And I, I, I really don't know how better to, to answer it, sir. And you, you were newly married at that time, weren't you? We've been married a couple of years. Yeah. Thank you. And your disciplinary record in prison has been pretty much entirely clean. Is that fair? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Governor, may I ask that his wife address you? Yes, please. Thank you. has provided you with a letter. I've told her to limit herself to about three minutes. Thank you. This way. This way. Hi, um, please. My name is Cherie Brillhart. I've been Jeff's wife for 23 years. A lot of people have asked me, why have I stayed with him the whole time? When we got married, at first things were good, and then my pregnancy with my daughter started making my brain tumor grow because it was a pituitary, which involves all the hormones and stuff. Wasn't a very nice person during that time I suffered a lot of headaches and stuff. Um, once I had the tumor out and stuff, things were better. Um, I held the stuff down exactly what I was going to say to you guys. Well, one thing is um, I had met Jeff at the Sahara Hotel where I had worked for 24 years. They recently closed. When they closed, I lost my job, which meant I lost my insurance, um, which someone for me that takes a lot of different drugs and expensive things and has tested very serious. My mother's health is starting to not be as good as it used to. And I share the house with her and my daughter. If Jeff was able to be pardoned, he would be coming to live with us. Um, when I married him, it was for life. I have since started, um, when my daughter became a member of the LDS Church, she asked me to join, and when I did, then I realized there's a big difference. When Jeff and I got married, we got married till death do we part. But in our church, it's for eternity. And that's very important that if anything should happen to me, I would like it to be for eternity. Um, and maybe too, if, if he was, it would give me 
little bit more bite back. Because I am a strong person. You might not know it now, but I am. And I know there was other stuff I would say, but this is just all gone. Did anyone? Thank you very much, Ms. Brillhart. Governor, maybe we ask that his, that her, uh, her daughter and his daughter address you. Yes, please. Virginia Brailhart. I'm 22 years old. Sorry. Uh, my father's been in prison my entire life. I've never lived with him. As uh, he said, I've never even been alone with my father. I try to be strong for my mom with all of her uh, medical problems and try to help support them. I am. Sorry, I should have talked for my mom. Well, take your time. Take your time. <laughs> I try to do my best to help them, and I would like the chance to be there to help support my dad, because even while he's been in prison, he has supported me. Um, the last time we were here, I was 16. After that, I had a lot of issues. I was in an accident. I, I dropped out of high school, and then after that, I decided for myself and to prove that through all of this, I could do it. I went back and I graduated on time. Uh, the only real thing that I have left that I want my father to be there for is to see me get married one day. I, I don't want somebody else to walk me down the aisle. I want my father to, no matter what he's done. In the end, he's still my father. I just want to know what a family is like. And uh, I just want to say thank you for letting us come here today and giving us this chance. Um, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Ms. Brillhart. Governor, members of the panel, my concluding remark is this. You've received a packet of letters that indicate their support for Mr. Brillhart. Um, one of the letters uh, puts our prayer for relief most succinctly. And that's from Harriet Trudell. It says, Jeffrey has earned, has served his punishment for a long time, and if we truly support belief in rehabilitation, then I ask you to take into consideration that he has earned a possibility of parole. There is no guarantee in 2013 he's going to be paroled, even if you grant him the prayer for relief that we have asked. So like Justice Hardesty, I have to have confidence and not just this tribunal, but the next one that Mr. Brillhart will face, even if you grant our prayer for relief. We thank you for allowing us to appear. Thank you, Mr. Terry. So a representative from the Clark County District Attorney's Office. Honorable members of the board, I'm Steve Owens of the Clark County District Attorney's Office. Six years ago, I was also here and stood at this podium and argued the same case. Uh, the arguments that we've heard here today were made six years ago. Um, I have not heard anything new. Um, I'm the only one that uh, has ever referred to this uh, provision in the Nevada Administrative Code that uh, speaks about a person who has been denied favorable action by the board may not reapply unless shown a substantial change of circumstance. I don't know if there's internal procedures that ensure that happens before a case like this comes back on calendar. Um, but we've heard from Mr. Terry today uh, for the first time uh, address that. Um, if I understood him, uh, the denial of parole 
um, after uh, we were last in front of the board is his uh, change in circumstance. Um, I don't think uh, denial of parole or the simple passage of time is, uh, is, is what this rule was intended uh, for here. I think really all that's changed is that uh, some of the audience members are, are different. Some of the members of the, uh, are, of the board are different. And uh, we're recycling the same arguments that others have heard many times before, not just in 2006. Uh, all these issues were, were raised uh, at trial. They were raised on direct appeal. The number of counts, uh, whether there, this was uh, some sort of prosecutorial uh, overcharging uh, to get six counts here from what was really incident, uh, that was raised in a pretrial writ of habeas corpus. That was denied by the trial judge. That issue was raised on uh, direct appeal with the Nevada Supreme Court uh, as, a, as a, this doctrine of multiplicity, whether you can have six counts arise. And uh, uh, you know, out of sensitivity for the innocent family members, I won't go through in detail unless uh, uh, somebody requests it, but there is a reason that there are six counts here. There were six separate acts committed, six different ways in which this woman was violated. Uh, that's been looked at and, uh, and is entirely legal and appropriate. Um, so there was not uh, the prosecutorial overcharging going on here. Um, we've also uh, heard in the past about how the sentencing judge must have uh, gone off uh, the deep end here and run all these uh, consecutive and that that was uh, somehow excessive. Uh, keep in mind that the pre-sentence investigation report that the judge was working with also recommended consecutive time. And that sentencing judge sat through a trial and actually listened to these witnesses, uh, listened to the victim, was able to, uh, to take in all that in a first-hand way that this board is not able to do some 22 years later. This is, uh, uh, yeah, we have people come up here and testify, but it is not a substitute for a trial. And I think with the passage of time, we get further away from the truth. We get further removed from the reasons that justified this sentence uh, in the first instance. And when we're talking about uh, changing the sentencing structure of a judge who heard the trial and was following a pre-sentence investigation report, I think we need to, uh, to tread very carefully. Um, we need a disincentive for those rapists who will come back and, uh, uh, and, 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 and rape in multiple ways. Um, otherwise, uh, changing his sentencing structure to, to commute all this down as if it was just one act of penetration doesn't give justice to the number of times. Otherwise, we'll have rapists say, you know, I've raped uh, the victim a little bit. Um, you know, I'm going down for the rape. I might as well get my money's worth and rape her as many ways and get my full satisfaction as possible. This defendant here, um, after beginning the rape, stopped turned on the light and said, I want to see this. I have been waiting for this a long time. I don't uh, need to be a psychologist or have some sort of report to tell me that a statement like that indicates there is a, a deep problem with this individual. And uh, somebody that uh, plans this, it's, it's, it wasn't because of issues going on in his marriage. There may have been things in the marriage. There may have been uh, stresses in his life, but there are stresses in everyone's life. I understand his, uh, his wife was having uh, some, some medical issues. That's not why he raped. He was planning this for a long time. He wanted to turn on the light and actually watch it um, and uh, imagine being the victim. And we're not just going to do this in the dark. Uh, we're going to do it with the lights turned on, but the victim's head has a, a stocking over the head and a pillowcase so that she can't see what's going on, but the perpetrator sure can. Um, this is a, a brutal rape, and uh, there needs to be justice, not just mercy. And uh, in this board, yes, it has tremendous power and, and authority to, uh, to give out mercy. I, there's, there's no way I'm going to get a, a larger sentence on any of these cases. All I can do is either maintain the status quo or, uh, or come up with a, a lighter sentence for some of these uh, offenders. This is a rapist. We're talking about commuting a sentence for one of the most uh, uh, horrific uh, rape, uh, rapes that I've read about, uh, and I've seen a lot. Um, so, unless there are any questions, I think I've touched on all the main points that I wanted to. And I would ask that uh, you deny relief. Is, could you comment on um, whether and to what extent you take into consideration the lack of any other criminal record on this man's history, either before or after? You know, I, I'm a prosecutor. Uh, I, I'm an advocate for victims and for justice. And, uh, you know, uh, I understand the board is going to look at everything. And it's entirely appropriate that you, that you hear the opinions from, from everyone here that, uh, that has something to say on the matter. And, and I leave it to the board to give that the, what weight it deserves. 
Um, all I'm looking at, and, and it is true, there, there, there was no uh, record that we're aware of uh, uh, that, uh, that he had uh, committed. Um, but looking at the gravity of the offense alone, I, we're talking about six counts of rape. I just could not in good conscience uh, under any circumstances, whether he has a prior record or not, especially given the, the nature of the number of uh, uh, counts and the, and the way in which this is perpetrated and, and his statements about wanting to watch it and having waited a long time for this, I, I can't in good conscience uh, agree to any kind of relief for somebody like that. Mr. Owens, you have mentioned justice twice. What is justice in this case? You know, I, I think uh, justice is having some fine victims and for uh, society and uh, to know that there is no finality in any any case because there are always endless appeals which he has availed himself of and ultimately there is uh, opportunities at the, at the pardons board and here he's had two of them so there's never any time that we can go to the victim and say you know here's a guarantee he's going to be doing this much time no it's something they're going to have to live with time and time again it's going to keep coming up we're going to keep spending state resources re-examining his case looking at the same facts over and over again just with you know the, the disadvantage of, of now looking at hindsight and having different people come look at the same facts the same arguments that were heard uh, previously that's not justice i think we we uh, we support the judge's sentence in this matter Sometimes I have sentences uh, that I don't uh, like, and, uh, and, and I'm sure the defendants have sentences that they don't like. But let's leave that in the hands of the sentencing judge and not try to second guess uh, how much uh, time uh, this offense was really worth. Um, I don't think uh, we're going to achieve any sentence some 22 years later in hindsight trying to uh, think that we're, we're going to see things more clearly uh, than, the, than the sentencing judge did. So and if we deny today this application the minimum would be 39 years correct and part of that is uh, I think I was the one six years ago that talked about uh, 30 years and that has nothing to do with this case that's just as a prosecutor doing trials for 15 years if I saw that there was six consecutive sentences with a minimum of five I can count that up multiply it and say all right at a minimum I know he's going to do 30 years I can no longer say that under the new guidelines because now they can have good time credits that work off that bottom end but it used to be that at a minimum they'd have to do the the five years and so I could say 30 years what we're really dealing with here is that the parole board has not seen fit to parole him as quickly and that that is somehow troubling uh, and so yeah now he's looking at more than 30 years that's not uh, the sentencing judge it's not the prosecutor uh, we're, we're, we're shifting the blame everywhere but where it truly lies and uh, and I'm I, I can't speak for the parole board I don't know why they've uh, denied uh, uh, and haven't advanced him more quickly knowing that he's got six uh, consecutive ones of these whether it's this board's uh, uh, job to uh, to weigh in and correct perceived injustices uh, from the parole board I, I leave that to you I don't know but that's really the issue here I think is that uh, the sentencing structure could have got him released in 30 and it's only because uh, parole board has denied him that we're uh, talking about 39 and we're looking at giving him some some sort of relief so we're working against the parole board and, uh, and maybe that's appropriate. Uh, I, I leave that to you to sort out. Yeah. And I don't know if it's working for, excuse me, one more question, Justice Pergeria, for or against. Um, it's just this is an interesting case to me because it is. The, the facts are horrific. And um, but I, having looked at this, there have been 16 different parole board members or so that have looked at this case and so you have you don't have consistency with each board that looks at this case and that's just like you say maybe that's the nature of the system but um, now this is a minimum of 39 years and given the past practice of the board it could be more and that circles me back to my my first question is that justice is justice in your word in your mind whatever the pro board decides to do I think it would be. I think we, I'm uncomfortable for the, for the pardons board because it seems so subjective. I don't see a whole lot of guidelines. As, as an attorney, I like standards and, 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 and I can apply facts and see if you meet the minimum criteria. Here it's very subjective. I never know what to argue, what's going to be uh, uh, valuable to the members of the, of the board, what they weigh as a, as a, as a, a consideration worthy of discussion and, and, and what is not. And it, and it differs uh, in, in every case. And so, you know, I'm scrambling all over the place trying to find, you know, what's, what's my best argument here for, uh, for keeping people in, in jail. That's what I, 
That's what I like uh, because there is a system that we have followed. There are procedures. I don't see as many procedures here. It's very open-ended. It's, uh, uh, it's whatever the board feels like doing. Uh, you can grant relief. There's, there's, no, there's no appeal from it. Um, you know, I, I, I can work within a system where there are, there are procedures and rules and those are followed and there's an outcome. And that's fair. And then, and then we live with that. Um, I, I'm at a loss here. I'm at a disadvantage. It's out of my hands, and I just come in and make my best pitch. And uh, and uh, but you know, looking at these cases, uh, 22 years, 26 years later, I think we just get further from the truth and less able to uh, to mete out justice. I think the the best chance at justice is going to come within uh, the other systems that we have, where they're uh, uh, more recent in time, and there is briefing of cases, and there is actual testimony heard and cross examination under oath. Um, and fact-finding that goes on that, uh, that uh, just is not capable of uh, happening here in front of this, this board. Thank you. Justice Perigary. My only comment was uh, essentially if uh, they're granted the relief they're seeking, it puts it back into the hands of the uh, uh, pardons board. Um, and uh, as Justice Hardesty indicated, uh, I think we all have uh, uh, significant uh, Trust in their uh, responsibilities and their and their judgment. Well, as a as a veteran of the, the criminal justice system, uh, Mr. Owens, I think you made some good points. You know, Earl White and I were very close friends. He was a public defender, and uh, uh, then he did a lot of criminal defense and private practice, and then became a judge. And certainly, uh, you know, what you said to me. You know, Having been in trials myself, my almost my whole career until I became a judge, you know somebody like Earl White looking at the facts, uh, there was a reason he gave consecutive sentences in this case. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You know you you're wondering what to say to somebody like me who's, you know, uh, certainly sensitive to a, to a man like this. I'm sorry he went to trial. You know I'm sorry that he didn't take a deal. Probably he could have saved himself a lot of trouble by by taking a deal, admitting his guilt. Uh, uh, instead of going to a jury trial and having all the facts come out before a judge like Earl White, who was a fair man. He was one of the fairest persons and one of the nicest persons I ever met. And so I'm real troubled by this case. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, this is one that, uh, and I do have confidence in the parole board. And, and also I know that uh, <clears throat> prosecutors and judges, when they look at sentencing, they, they're looking at what the minimums would be. And maybe knowing that you're not going to get paroled uh, right away every time. And so... Uh, I'm troubled by this case. This is a tough one for me as a former criminal defense attorney and a former trial judge and a, a friend and a very respective of a man like Earl White as a judge. And seeing those facts and reading the, I just read the pre-sentence report again and I see where you're coming from, Mr. Owens. You're not out of line at all in this one. This is a tough one for me. Chief Justice. Um, you know, I have to echo the comments of my colleague that this is undoubtedly a tough um, situation. And I echo your comments, Mr. Owens, that I wish there were guidelines for us. Um, so I'm going to ask what's going to seem like an oversimplified question. I'm not sure you are in a position to answer it. So, so this is, uh, I guess, a question that to whomever can answer it. The underlying facts of this crime, um, notwithstanding the absolutely unbelievably horrible circumstances that appear before us on paper that apparently the inmate has acknowledged trouble me because it's not clear what happened here in a not need to be real careful here I am not suggesting that anyone ever has a right to do anything against the will of another person I am however suggesting that I'm concerned about a couple of things I've heard comments about a difficulty in a, in a marriage doesn't excuse what happened I've heard um, comments about um, a, an extramarital affair. doesn't excuse this. It does, however, trouble me because I'm not clear. And then I read some information in our packet that says there were no children of this union. So now I'm real concerned. Is that an error in the record? The woman, young woman who spoke to us, is that not Mr. Brillhart's daughter? That would have to be a question for them. I mean, it could be a misstatement in the information that we have, but it, I'm reading it. There are no children from this union. And this is the second wife of 22 years. Can anybody help me out with that? I believe Mrs. Brillhart would be the appropriate one in that regard, Judge. 
Is this Mr. Brillhart's daughter? Yes. But we also have my son, too. Correct. Explain to her, Honor, how old your son is. My son is 29. Great. Jeff and I got married. Jeff, I don't know. So, and, and do I understand correctly that you allege a relationship with the woman who you ultimately attacked? Yes, ma'am. An ongoing relationship no, or one no, that was I, in your mind? I, one that I perceived, ma'am. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Any further questions from Mr. Owens? Not from Justice Mr. Owens. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Owens. <laughs> For the uh, uh, pardons board, uh, um, I, I'm trying to find out uh, or trying to uh, determine what efforts you made in trying to uh, uh, locate a victim or the victim's family. Uh, we got a, a general uh, uh, statement that uh, you could. You, you couldn't find them by mail, no response. But uh, what efforts were made to find a victim or the family? Uh, Justice Paragary, thank you for that question. Uh, what our office does is we contact the district attorney's office because they are the ones that have the victim information. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and we will, uh, they will provide us with an address and we will contact that victim by mail. And that, was, that letter was returned U.S. mail with no return address. Thank you. Yeah. Madam Attorney General. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Brillhart, uh, one thing does concern me, um, and correct me if I'm wrong when I'm reading in my, the paperwork that I have. Uh, so you're before this board in 2005, the Pardons Board, um, and then prior to coming back before us in 2008, you were found guilty of stealing. Uh, not a conviction, but a violation of the prison requirements. Uh, Looks like, at least from what I'm reading in the discipline, you were stole a plastic fork from um, the staff break room. Uh, is that accurate? That's 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 accurate. But if I could explain it, well, I worked in the education building for several years, and we had always had full access to that area. And the the day that it happened, I was there to sit in for a college class because they were using my teacher's classroom. And I had forgotten to bring my cup and spoon from the, the unit. And I didn't have time to get back before the teacher was going to show up. But I, I remembered that there was a whole trash bag of spoons in there. So I went and got one, which had never been a problem before. But there was a new secretary working in the school. And she, didn't, she took offense that I did it without asking her permission. And so I was, I was given a write-up for, for taking the spoon without her permission. It says it was a plastic fork. Was it, it was a spork. A know. spork. Okay. Okay, thank you. Further questions from any of the board members? I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.